John Banville, who was born in Wexford, Ireland in 1945. He was educated at Christian Brothers School and St. Peter's College, Wexford. He worked in journalism from 1969 as sub-editor on the Irish Press and from 1986 at the Irish Times. He was literary editor at the Irish Times from 1988 to 1999, Banville's first book, Long Lankin, a collection of short stories and a novella, was published in 1970. His first novel, Night Spawn, came out in 1971. Subsequent novels include Dr. Copernicus, Kepler, The Newton Letter, The Book of Evidence, Ghosts, The Untouchable, and Margaret Atwood has a question about that for you. The Sea and the Infinities, among awards John Banville's novels have won, are the Allied Irish Banks Fiction Prize, the American Irish Foundation Award, the James Tate Black. Seagulls. That's beautiful. Seagulls. I sure hope we can't catch some of that. <laughs> Is it coming in through the chimney? Yeah. That's awesome. I came in here one day and there was a thing sitting on that table. Right. And I, and I said, oh, my bloody wife has bought this awful vulgar bird. <laughs> and then it moved. It had come down through the chimney. <laughs> ah, okay. And uh, where were we? The Untouchable. The Sea won the Booker uh, Prize in 2005. And in 2011, he was awarded the Franz Kafka Prize. Now, I'm reading this from... A John Banville Reader, which came out in 2012. So, John, could you please tell me and ask what you've been up to for the past decade? Oh, I've won hundreds of prizes since then, hundreds. The nicest prize I got was the <laughs> Prince of Asturias Award in Spain. And the reason I say it's the nicest is that all speeches were limited to three minutes. I got to meet the king and queen, who were delightful people, and... They told me that if I should come to Asturias again, they hoped that something that happens usually is that when the winners are coming into the palace to receive their prize, the peacocks from the local park walk ahead of them or behind them. So I can't wait to go back. I'd love to be photographed with the peacock <laughs> walking behind me. <laughs> well, they sound as distinctive as that seagull does, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Well, the seagulls here, they drive us crazy. I mean, we we live on the coast here. Um, yeah, we're in, uh, in Hoth, Hoth. Yeah, Hoth. Just, right. what, half an hour north of Dublin. Yeah, and we're looking out at, well, we used to have a wonderful view here until this monstrosity was built in front, but we're looking out on uh, Ireland's Eye, which is the sleepy giant in Choices, Finnegan's Wake. And half a mile up the hill is the rhododendrons where Leopold Bloom and Molly... Uh, had their tryst at the end of Ulysses. So it's a historic place. Yes, yes. But, you know, we, our poor, my poor generation of Irish writers, we have all those people standing behind us. Irish writing, for some reason, it doesn't seem to do middle-brow writing. It doesn't have a tradition. No, it's like Margaret Atwood doesn't have anyone to compete with in Canada. Yeah, yeah. well, you, we, have, uh, we have, my God, and the, I always say they stand behind us like Easter Island statues. Yes. Looming over us, saying, you know. So is that why you're writing? Is that why you're putting so much out in hopes that you're going to, what? Well, no, I write because I have to. Okay. Uh, it's like breathing. Uh, what else would I do? My wife used to say, <laughs> I, when I said, I'm going to give up writing, she'd say, oh yes, and then you'll take up politics and destroy the world. Yes. Well, okay, so before you do that, just to clue you into the, the mission of my uh, project here, I've been tracking down what I call best practitioners in all sorts of roles. 
connected to the the book in hopes of getting a sort of a panoramic overview of the book at the turn of the 21st century. Yes. And so four simple questions I have for you. One is, what do you do? How do you do it? Why do you do it? And why does it matter? Those are simple questions, all right, yeah. Very easy. (laughs) So, but before I let you go on the first one, what do you do? I'm going to guess that it has something to do with a combination of using your imagination, research, cluing into interesting stories that may have been told to you or maybe not, and crafting beautiful, funny sentences and metaphors. Is that what you do? Are we recording now? I think we are. I hope hope we are. I write because I have to. I started writing fiction when I was 11 or 12. My sister had given me a copy of Joyce's short story collection, Dubliners. I was fascinated to realize that fiction could be about life as I knew it. These weren't stories about detectives or schoolboys or western yarns. This was life as as, uh, grim, grimy and glorious life as I knew it. Uh, So I immediately started writing dreadful imitations of uh, Joyce's Dubliners. Um, They were really bad. But I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I kept writing it. Then when I was about 17, 18, I wrote a little story called The Party. Not a very good story. But it was very important to me because when I finished it, it drifted free of me. I felt that I'd given birth. And then I thought, yeah, I can, I can be a writer. You've made something that wasn't there before and it's now in the world. Yeah, somebody once asked Govida why he'd written mm-hmm. this book and he said because it wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to make something new and put it into the world, you know, I can't judge how successful it is or not, but it is something new that wasn't there before. Okay, so dipping into your essays here in, in this reader that was put out by Picador... Uh, that I reference. You start off personae, personae, personae? Personae. Of summer. Depends whether you went to Oxford or Cambridge, of course. (laughs) Right. Here's what you say. I do not think I am a novelist. As a writer, I have little or no interest in character, plot, motivation, manners, politics, morality, social issues... The word psychology, when it is applied to art, makes me want to reach for my revolver. To those of you who at this point are about to stop reading, let me hasten to say that this is not an anti-humanist attitude I'm striking, nor even really a post-modernist one. I do believe that the art of fiction does deal with the world, that world which in our arrogance we call ordinary, but that deals with it in very special and specialized ways. So what are those ways? Art sets up a parallel universe, parallel world. The work of art is finished. It's rounded. It's a polished, rounded object. Life is not like that at all. We don't remember our birth. We will not experience our death. As Wittgenstein said, Death is not an event in life. I think that's true. So all we have is this mess in the middle. And that's why we go to works of art, because works of art are finished. When you reference Kermode, right? The sense of an ending. The sense of an ending. Even at their most uh, incoherent, they have a beginning, a middle and an end. And even at their most mysterious, and all real works of art are wholly mysterious. This is why we keep going back to them. They never get used up. And you can't explain them, or this is what I'm trying to, going to try and get you to do, yeah. but you, you suggest that they're uncannily, as you say, mysterious. A, yeah, I mean, the work of art, it can't be expressed in any other form than its own form. Right, like a poem. Yeah, work of art is, or a picture, or a piece of music, you, you can't yeah. translate a piece of music into language. I always feel sorry for the poor people who have to write program notes for concerts, you know, <laughs> right. and they're saying, you know, at this point it goes into D minor and 
which means nothing. You know, they, they should just stop because music is music. All art, as Walter Pater said, despised the condition of music. Yes. That we don't have to express anything. My mm. One of my models as a writer is in Kafka. Kafka said the the artist is the one who has nothing to say. Yeah, so what does that mean? I have nothing to say. I have no, I have no message to deliver. I, as I said, I don't... So you're trying to entertain us and make oh, some money God, off no, some I books? I don't care whether you're entertained or not. But, but what are you trying to do? You're I'm trying to sell books? I'm not at all. I have no interest in selling books. <laughs> I remember... Uh, no, it happened. No, uh, you used to, though, no? No. You never did. Well, that's why I worked in journalism, to make a living, so that I didn't have to worry about whether books sold or not. Right. Um, okay. So what do you do? As, what do you do? Well, but I, I'll tell you. <laughs> one of my books was shortlisted for the Booker Prize in 1989. Right. My wife said, what? Said, they must have misread it. And she thought about it for a while and said, don't worry, dear, you, you write another book, a better book, you know. So, you did say she had a fantastic ear and she was oh, a great editor. Perfect pitch. Perfect, perfect pitch. pitch is yeah. what you said, yeah. yeah. Oh, and you reference, you, you quote her a lot. Oh yeah, she's, she was. When she, did she, she die? Gone. November 2021. Right. Um, yeah, that's, how was no, that? I'm sure that's tough. She was one for one. I'll tell you a story which you can't put on the oh, podcast. Okay. She was American. She was. Uh, oh, was she? Yeah. Oh. Born in St. Louis. West. Can we? We can. We can. We can go with this, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah she was born in St. Louis. She went to school in huh. Berkeley, California. Just like uh, T. S. Eliot. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Yes. Yeah, she, she. She and Eliot were from very different parts of St. Louis. But she was a delightful woman. Uh-huh. Uh, That's very nice. And how long were you married to her for? Oh my God, for about 150 years, I think. Seems she used like... to say it feels like 150 years. Right. But then I went off with another woman in the 1990s and had... You did? Oh yeah, I had two daughters with her. With a new one? Yeah. And what happened to the American one? Oh, I, I stayed with her. I was in love with both of them. Still, I'm in love with both of them. And that was okay with both of them? No. No, it was not. But it enabled you to write a lot of interesting stuff, I bet. Oh, no, I don't. No, I don't think that the circumstances of one's life affect what one writes. Writing is completely separate from life. I totally People find this. People find this. I disagree with that. I know. I know you do. Most people do. But for me, life is what I do when I'm not writing. Right. Uh, And it doesn't inform your writing. How can it not? It would, but not directly. Yes. Of, it's all yes. stuff. It's all compost. Yes. My poor wife, she said, you're saying I'm compost. <laughs> well, she is. Uh, Good uh, compost. Uh, I have her ashes downstairs. I don't know what to do. What do you? What I'm going to do is I'm going to put them in a pot and plant huh. either a rose bush in it. Or oh, that's nice. Sweet pea or something. Wouldn't that be a good way to do it? My father loved uh, Grouse Mountain in Vancouver. And although I, I don't think you're allowed to do this, we went up there and scattered it all right mm. on the top. You have to do that kind of thing on a calm day. The wind is blowing. Yeah. You get your... Your, uh... your relative in your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so did you answer that or not? I can't. Uh, well, that's what I do. I make sentences. He makes in you. Yes, that's the greatest invention of humankind. Oh, I believe that. We would what we are, for good or ill, with that sentence. Yeah, no, it's true. And you know, when the most important thing that happens to most people in their lives is they fall in love, hopefully more than once, and without sentences, what? Yeah. Well, there are. There are other ways of communicating when you're in love. Well, uh, yes, but there are. But to get to that point, you typically have to use sentences. W. H. Jordan used to refer to the orgasm as that sneeze. 
he wrote a play, uh, no, a poem about the blowjob, I think. Did he? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Um, I've come to realise, actually, I'm not a great, great admirer of Auden's work, but I've come to realise that I probably resemble him in that I have no interest in being a great man. Right. I have no interest in being a legend. I'm sorry now that I didn't write anonymously from the very start. So that nobody would know who I am. Because why? Because I, as I've said, I have nothing to say. I have no, no opinions. I just make works of art. Yeah, I just, I just don't believe this. I, as I a don't. human being, as a citizen, you see the distinction I make between human being and artist. I do think they are two separate. Uh, when I, I sit down, when I sit down to write at my desk, I cease to be. A human being. <laughs> a human being. Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, right. but you've still got an ego. The first thing you started off with was, damn, that Joyce, how the hell am I supposed to top that? That's ego. No, 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 no. no you really are wrong about that. Okay. What I was saying was that if you have these great precursors, right. you know, the Joyce, the age, the Beckett, the, you know, we have so many of them. What one has to do is find a route out of that magnificent cemetery okay. uh, and yeah. find new ways of saying the old things. That's all it is. Now, of course, I have an ego, but that's a separate thing. So have you been able to find your way out of the cemetery or not? That's not for me to say. I can't judge. Okay. So you've been referred to as a, the novelist of ideas and, and you did this really, I mean, it seems to me what I read for is, yeah, interesting ideas, maybe a, an intriguing plot, but it's sentences that I read, read for, beautiful, clever, wise, uh, funny sentences, choice lines that you can't get from most people. To sit at my desk and, you know, I'm plodding along and language is the most difficult, mulish, treacherous medium that one can work with. I mean, when I was a teenager, I tried to paint for a while. I had no talent, but I realised that it'd be wonderful to work with paint rather than language. Yeah. Because language is, is used up. Uh, you know, you've been speaking this stuff since... Since we came down from the trees. Yeah, but there's hundreds of thousands of words to choose from. Yes. I, people are always annoyed at me and I use so many of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the duties, one of the minor duties of the artists, literary artist, is to keep the language pure. Tyrants love yes. sloppy, simple yeah. language. Yeah. Uh, we keep it rich and yeah. resistant to tyranny, I hope. So you're Just a fan of Orwell then? Yeah, I admire Orwell, yes, yeah. yeah, I do. But I disagree with him because Orwell said that the sentence should be a pane of glass through which we look at what's being said, at the ideas. I don't agree with that at all. The sentence is like, uh, it's like a phrase in music and it should have music, it should have, mm. it should be sedu seductive. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that can, you know, especially for Irish writers because we, <laughs> we use too many words, and we love the sound of our own voices. So we have to suppress ourselves, which Joyce should have done in Ulysses. You know, Ulysses should be about half the length it is. Yeah. It would be much better. Pool. I think Martin Amos said 20%. Yeah, well, I, I would say half. 20% was half. good. Yeah. Half, and pinning his wake, I can live without. Totally. But, uh, <laughs> well, I always say that pinning his wake is a great disaster with equal emphasis on both words. It's a good way to go insane. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, there's a, on the first page of Finnegan's Wake, there's a really cheap pun where he talks, he's talking about peninsular wars, and he says, peninsular wars, God almighty, you know, a schoolboy would be ashamed to say such a thing. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because, uh, you know, he's held in such reverence. But he was very clever, you see, he was so clever. Well, he wanted to keep the scholars busy for a hundred years, I yeah. mean, he was, it's, I guess he was arrogant, was he? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was in vain. So not like you then? Well, I am arrogant, but I think that what Joyce had was vanity 
and I have not got, I'm not vain in any way. I find myself utterly ridiculous. How do you define the, what's the difference between the two? He had the vanity that he would, he could conceive himself as a great man, a great figure. Okay. A great figure in the world. I don't, I just see myself as a... It's just arrogant. Well, but it, uh, let me put it this way. It's small scale arrogance, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, humble arrogance. Humble arrogance. Humble ar exactly, humble arrogance. And nobody believes it. Nobody takes it seriously for a moment, you know? Right. Uh, but I'm pontificating about this or that, you know, after a few glasses of wine. I have the impression that the entire table is just trying not to laugh. Okay. Uh, but then I, you see also, I don't read reviews. No. I don't read anything about myself. No, that's good. So I don't have any conception of what the world thinks of me. Yes, okay. Except I do read, when the paperbacks come out, I read the little quotes on the back. And I think, you know, book reviews, wonderful, they're so short, and they're all favourable. Right. Okay, uh, so... Getting back to what you do, uh, art is shallow and therein lies its deeps. The face is all and in front of the face, the mask. W what does that mean? This is again, I'm quoting from Personae uh, of Summer. I pronounced that wrong, didn't I? The Personae of Summer. Personae? Yeah. yeah. It's a poem by Wallace Stevens. Yeah, no, you love line. Stevens. You line. Yeah, you love Stevens, don't you? I do. I can't Even though he's hard to understand. Most of it I can't understand, yeah. but yeah. it's wonderful music. Although well, Elizabeth Bishop said about Wallace Stevens, he said, <laughs> he makes iambic pentameter moo. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, some of your wine? What's that? Let's have some of your wine. Good. Yeah, I'm not you so like big it? on white wine. Oh, I'm sorry. But that's okay. I haven't got no, any no. Bread. That's okay. Oh, I think I have a little bread. I can get you a glass of bread. No, no, no. But you can have that. <laughs> um, Let me get you a glass. No, no, no. Well, whatever, whatever works. Turn the thing off for a second. No, I'll no, I, I, I'll screw it up if I turn it off. But, but oh, you can okay. go. No, no, no. You, I'll, I'll just edit it. You. you. Okay. It'll be wild. Wild. Wild noise of. <laughs> when they record background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wild track, okay. All earth. Yes, so you can't help what you do. Uh, and what do you do again? I make sentences. You make sentences? Okay. Now the right, okay. That's all you do is just make sentences and stick them together. Well, one sentence leads to another. Okay, and that's how I work. I, okay. I get sentences as near to yes to perfection as I possibly can, which is very far away from perfection. Yeah, as near as I can yeah, get. as close as you can get without thinking. Generates... If I touch it again, it, yeah. I'm going to screw it up. So, yeah. so I'm going to leave yeah. it. That generates the next sentence. It's a great delight in making these. Yes. These yes. Things. I remember the day. A bliss. A bliss. I'm written a scene where a man is sitting in a kitchen, looking out window at the greenery and so on. The sentence came to me, you know. Yeah. Without the wild world worlds as it will. Which I think beautiful sentence. What's this again? Without the wild world worlds. The wild there. world worlds? Yeah. Translates very easily into German because of course worlds as a verb is a Heideggerian verb. <laughs> okay. This is this is the trivial pursuits no, no, it's time. deep. It, it's funny though. You just said here that anyway. For, well, let let's just look at the the writers you admire the most are the ones who have abandoned the pretense of realism, who have ceased to try to speak about things in favor of speaking the things themselves, such as Beckett or Thomas Bernhardt, or those who took the old forms and worked the a revolution from within, such as. Henry James, Henry James, the wrought and polished object itself, an astonishment standing in the world. That's what interests me. Yeah, well, that's, 
I, I don't need to add to that. No, you don't. You you said that. Uh, uh, but but uh, but, but then know, what you say is the world and being in it are such a mystery that the artist stands before it in a trance of bafflement. So, what do you do? You sit there in a trance of bafflement. Yeah, and I try to explain the thing to myself, but of course it can't be explained. The, the meaning it's better, of... it's better to say I try to account for it to myself. Being in this world yeah. is such a strange phenomenon. There's a wonderful little passage in Rilke's Divino Elegies. I could do it in German, but it's English, where he says... He's saying, you know, why, why bother to, to live at all? Uh, he says, because being here is much, and because all this that's here, so fleeting, seems to require us and strangely concerns us. That's, that expresses what I do, what I endeavour to do, to, to, even though, I, you know, I'm, I mean, life is so brief, I can't believe I'm 77. I mean, I, well, I'm really 37, I, but I can't I, believe I'm 77. Couldn't agree with you more from where I'm at. But it's, but the being here is so extraordinary. I mean, it's, it is yeah. a constant that's astonishment. Wonderful. That's wonderful that you maintain that astonishment. Really. But I think you would have to be very unhappy not to. You know, in, in my. But many people are unhappy. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I can't do anything about that except write sentences that might cheer them up a bit. But yeah. you know, in in, um, in my book, Singularities, the, one of the narrators says um, he's talking about blackbirds, and he says, "Imagine a world without blackbirds." And he says, "Imagine a world with blackbirds." Yeah. That's the aston- astonishment. I mean, these yeah these things sit in the trees, isn't they? Well, nature, They're shouting at each other, you know. Yeah, nature, and you're also and rightfully astonished by what human beings have done in trying to figure out why we're here and figure out meaning and systems and such. Well, we're such a strange species. I mean, we're the most devastating virus yeah. this planet has ever had to deal with. Uh, we may destroy it yet, unless Mother Nature destroys us first. I had high hopes for COVID. They were dashed. But now I'm putting, I'm putting all my money on avian flu. That may be the one. They're coming get, back, is that it? That get rid of us. That okay. get rid of us. Uh, AI is going to get rid of us. <laughs> so I'm told. My son writes code, and he told me that the other day, you know, he, he starts writing a piece of code, and the AI will finish it for him. He said the other day, he was approaching the keyboard with his fingers, and the thing started working. Shit. I said, how did you know you were there? He said, I don't know. Not scary. That is, yeah. Well, it's going to be a great adventure. Us well, against the us against the AIs. Yeah. Okay. So the trance of bafflement. Then, in confrontation with the total enigma, all that the artist can do, it seems to me, is set up analogs, parallel microcosms, tiny models of the huge original with which the mind may play in earnest. I'm speaking of a pictured world, not a world anatomized. Nietzsche was the first to recognize that the true depth of a thing is in its surface. Art is shallow and therefore lies its deeps. The face is all... Yeah, I already already asked that. What do you mean by that? What I say, I mean, it seems to be quite simple. It's not simple. I don't understand. No. Well, I'm simple. Do you know? No, I don't. Well, um, one of the reasons, well, the main reason, I, the reason I tried to be a painter when I was in my mid-teens, was that I was fascinated by the fact that all we can know of the world is its surface. Nobody's ever seen a cube. With the concept of a cube, but you cannot see a cube. You can only see three, maybe four faces of it. You have to trust that it is a cube. This is a very strange thing when you think about it. Uh, we think we know things, yeah. but it may all be just a flat surface. Fantastically... Like a, a flat world, you fantastically mean. Fantastically, beautifully wrought to fool us. 
Descartes, you know, had the notion of this malignant spirit who just fooled us into thinking that we, that we exist. But, I mean, that's, that's to go too deep. I mean, I just, I just, love, I just love the world. I just love the, the surface of the world. Okay. And that's all I can know. All can art know. aspires to the condition of pure style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because that, then you don't have to express things or talk about things. Or you just, it's just pure evidence. It's just the thing itself. So uh, you, you saying this brings up Catherine Schultz. She wrote Lost and Found. It's a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. Lost and Found and is what it is. And she said that all she's doing is bearing witness. And that's really important. Exactly. That's really important. I said that many times myself. I'm bearing witness. Uh, this is and, what I saw. And why is that so important? It's important to bear witness, isn't it? To leave a trace. To try to understand what's happening, you mean? No, no. No or way. just just to observe. There's no possibility of my understanding. There's nothing just, to be understood. Well, you can try and figure is, stuff out. Like you can what? have lessons, life lessons, or no, wisdom. No, no, no. No, no don't you? Don't, I mean, I want to learn. I want to learn how to live my life better from a novel. Maybe if I can reflect on my own life. You're going to the wrong place. Go to the priests. Okay. Go to the psychologists. You won't learn that. All we're giving is a picture of how things are. You, I always say I'm not interested in what people do I'm interested in what people are you have to strike past the everyday stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. talking about the weather yeah. Yeah. Know, having love affairs essential thing that's what I meant by saying you don't the artist doesn't talk about things he speaks the thing itself he, she or it Actually, these are not difficult concepts you're, you're, you're overthinking them this is all very simple. You're a purveyor of possible meaning, lessons, wisdom, i.e. love is the most important thing in the world. Connection is... Did I say that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm right. throwing this out here. Connection with other human beings and kindness. Plus you're trying to entertain me and distract me from the horror of exactly what's going on here which no, is no, sitting no. on a planet no, and I don't know where I came from or where I'm going absolutely not what art does is it is not an escape from the world it is an escape into the world I wasn't saying it was an escape you're talking about entertainment you want to be entertained and diverted from well that's what you're doing by publishing a book you want no, to entertain not. people you don't certainly not your publisher sure as hell does oh well, of course Publishers are publishers. Their desires are frequently quite divergent with ours. Who is your publisher? Isn't it Faber? Uh, Faber now, yeah. How long has it been Faber? Oh, just a while. I couldn't get a publisher in England for my last novel, Singularities, which says more about the state of publishing in England than it does about my book. Things is bad. Hmm. Uh, okay, so we figured out i think what you do have we talked about how you do it yeah, other than yeah, just yeah. putting the sentences together right yeah, and yeah, you you yeah. basically you you're happy with the sentence and that propels you to put the I'm next i'm never one. happy with the sentence you're never. as happy as you can be yeah okay and so the next the, that's how you do it why do you do it because it gives you joy and uh, the idea of why i do it why do I do it because I, that would be like asking me why I breathe. I have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah, it's like you asking me, why are you doing this interviewing and, and, you're, and how do you make money? Well, I, I do it because I, I don't want to do anything else. Yeah, that sums it up. Okay. I don't know how to do anything else. Look, I could. I worked as a journalist for... 35 years I could do that but but this is this is serious business I'm engaged in why well it could be that what I do speaks to should the our poor race survive a sentence or two of mine might speak to somebody 400 years from now 
I go to Madrid and I go to the Prado and I look at Velázquez's Las Meninas, mm -hmm. one of the great works of art ever made. And I, I prefer before. Goya myself, but well, I know that that the world divides into the Goyas and the <laughs> people <laughs> like Goya and people like Velasquez. But I stand before it, and it's it's, it's a standing mystery. It is completely enigmatic. I don't know yeah. why he did it that way, and the painter is looking from behind the canvas at us with very wonderful um, wry smile, saying, "You think you're going to figure this out?" keep trying. I've seen the picture I don't know how many times. Once my publishers got me into the Prado before anybody was there, before it opened, and I was in that room, little room in the Prado where the, the Velasquez paintings are. And I was sorry I'd done it because I was so uncomfortable. Because the paintings were looking at me. The paintings were saying, you know, why are you here? You think you're going to figure us out? That's one of the wonderful things about art. It's a, art is a mystery that is never, ever solved. That's why we go back to it again and again and again. Why do we go back to late Beethoven's Sonata? Why do we go back to mm. Joyce's Dubliners? Why do we look at a, a great painting of Pierre Bonnard? I mean, Bonnard was one of the great painters. And you know, one, of the, <laughs> one of the reasons that you, that you know that Bonnard was a great painter is that Picasso was always attacking him. Yes. Picasso knew he was a fraud, you know. But he knew Bonnard was a real painter. You know that wonderful thing that uh, when uh, uh, Braque was interviewed late in life and said, you know, what do you think about Picasso? Braque said, Pablo, ah, my friend Pablo. He used to be a good painter. Now he's just a genius. Which is very astute observation. Well, he had energy, is what he had, but uh, I think, I mean, he just... So do serial killers. Good point. That's a good... Is that a good a good place to end this? Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I think so. I think so. We've covered it all, haven't we? Well, I've got, a, I've got a shitload more questions here, but... Uh... I'd just be saying the same things over and over again. You would, probably. Did we say why it matters? You said it was serious because someone 400 years from now might read it, but big deal. Yes, but also it's serious because it is the best that a human being can do. Best what? The best work. Even a foul human being like Louis Fernand Céline, yeah. or Heidegger. Mm-hmm. Heidegger the Nazi, Céline the fascist. Anti-Semite. Anti Anti-Semite, unforgivably. Mm. But their work stands mm -hmm. above that. It's separate from them. Uh, it is a statement in the world that is affirmative. And also it is the best that they could do. Very few things in the world, you know. You can look at a, a beautifully made piano or a... My wife is a weaver, she'd make these beautiful rugs and like that. Uh, but she would make beautiful things. She hated them all, of course, like me. Yeah, you I, hate I all hate your novels. Yeah. She hated them. Yeah. <laughs> we went to a friend's house one day <laughs> and she we came in the door and she said, Oh, that's a nice rug. Where'd you get that? I said, Darling, you did that. I said, Oh, did I? Shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's because what? She's just so productive like you are. No, you, no, no, you've no, forgotten no, a few no, novels you've written? No, everything. Let me try to, to clarify this. If you're engaged in a serious endeavour, you aim for perfection. And we cannot have perfection. We are imperfect no. beings. Right. So everything that we do, every product we produce is a failure. It's, a, it's the best that we can do, and we, typically we're not, we're happy, like I'm happy, I'm happy with most of what I do, I look back, I don't hate it, I think, good, good for you. So what does that mean, I'm, a, I'm not much of an artist? Do you, do you aspire to be an artist? Yeah, this conversation is an art, a work of art, my work of art. Yes, but it could be better done. It could have been. It could have been a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> but wait until I edit it, though. <laughs> That's where the art comes. Oh in. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> no, but I mean, I think it is very important. It's vital to be serious, but never solemn. Solemnity is the death of art. Yeah, you've said that before. I'm just trying to, again... I've said everything twice. No, At least no. twice by now. No, well, here and, yeah, I want to get something new on the record, though. Mm. So... Good luck with that. Yeah, so... I'm 77, I've said everything. No, I know, but here we are. This project is... My project is to understand... No, it isn't. It isn't. It's to observe. It's to bear witness to what's going on with the book. Go, bear witness to what's going on with the book at the turn of the 21st century. So, And you're a best practitioner. Uh, you don't want to be called a novelist, though. A sentence maker. Uh, and you also have published a lot of books. So what, what are you, what's going on at, at this time in, in the world for you? Well, for me, I'm getting ready to depart, you know, so... Um, but your connection with books, your, your uh, understanding and interest in books, your, your work with books. It seems to me this is a perilous time, but then that's what all old men say. I, I once did an interview with a Spanish journalist and I said, Steve Jobs destroyed my world. He said, oh, I have my headline. Uh, that's to put it a bit strongly, but I think that the advent of the cell phone and of... Umberto Eco said that he believed in the 1970s that the word, the written word, was going to be of no importance and that everything would be visual, everything would be images. He said, then came new technology and he said, everybody's reading, everybody's writing. Most of it's rubbish. Yeah, Maybe most of it's rubbish. Nine percent of it's rubbish. But... You know, the process of changing black marks on a white background into images, ideas, philosophies, this is an extraordinary film, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I always say that even if you're only reading the back of a cornflakes packet over breakfast, you're still reading, you're still doing this extraordinary thing. I mean, it is an extraordinary. It's it only because we're used to it. It's like clouds, you know, we're used to clouds, so we're not standing in amazement before them every moment of our lives. It's just because we got used to the fact of being able to read. Like, I think you've said that it, a cloud's got like atomic energy, you know, like a hydrogen bomb yeah, or something. Yeah, one of those big clouds could, could destroy us if it used its energy. Yeah. We live in a very... <laughs> it's amazing that we're allowed to survive as long as we do. Um... There are so many things. I remember when I went to Australia, I was talking about this, and a friend of mine said, come and live in Australia, mate. There are more things here that will kill you than anywhere else in the world. <laughs> and she said to me, there's a spider that if you're sitting on the loo, it'll come up and bite you on the bum, and you're gone in three seconds. So the world is very fragile, and we are... Life is fragile. We're among the most fragile of all. Yeah. But isn't it extraordinary what we've done? You know, for every Hitler there are two Beethovens. Yeah, yeah. We have done extraordinary things, given what we are, given our limitations. Mm -hmm. I mean, AI, artificial intelligence, is frightening. But what an extraordinary achievement it is. You cannot is. but stand back in amazement. And how's that connect to books again? <laughs> that's my you quoted me saying that you know I stand in a trance amazement before the world and our being in it bafflement you said bafflement I'm absolutely yeah. baffled I'm still baffled I can't yeah, yeah. I, I just it's glorious bafflement yeah you know, I'm slightly drunk constantly in the face of this very strange I've only written in my own voice once in one of the novels, short paragraph, where a character says, I've never got used to being on this earth. This was a paragraph that Martin Amos noticed and admired immensely. My poor, much-missed friend. Yes, I do want to, before we yeah. leave, I do want to have yeah. a few words about him. Yeah. He, uh, but in this paragraph, yes. I said, you know, I've never got used to being on this earth. 
it seems to me that our presence here is a cosmic blunder. We weren't meant to be here. And then the narrator says, I wonder how they're getting on. People who are meant to be here, how are they getting on in our world, on the other side of the universe? <laughs> and he says, no, they would have become extinct long ago. But how would they, gentle earthlings, how would they survive in a place meant to contain us? I think that's true. We are, as I said earlier, we are the most dangerous virus this poor planet has ever had to cope with. But, I say again, look what we've done. Yeah. Uh, look at the poetry of Rilke. Look at the paintings of Goya, of Velasquez, of whoever you wish to pick. Look at the music. Look at the science. I mean, science. Science is just astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. I mean, we've developed a theory, quantum theory, which works, you know, it works our cell phones, it works your laptop. Mm -hmm. We have no idea what it is. Richard Feynman, one of the great quantum scientists, said, if anybody tells you they understand quantum physics, they're lying because nobody understands it. But didn't you and say it was like a wave or a particle they don't even know? Or what? Yeah, but you know this, do you know about uh, uh, entanglement? No. Oh, right. Well, I do uh, in relationships. No, entanglement is, you have, say, you have two subatomic particles. One is red and one is blue. And they're joined. Right? You separate them. You take the red one to the far side of the universe. You change its colour. Instantaneously, the one left will change its colour. Now this is not supposed to be possible. Nobody understands this. And yet, it's used in your phones. It's used. So we're using technology that we have no idea how it works. But isn't it amazing that we conceived of these things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, uh, I mean, the problem is, that, you know, so many of us are so stupid. Yes, that is, I was thinking that on the train over here. You would be inclined to think of that when you're on the train from the city to host on a fine Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but you know, all of those stupid people, they have their own complexity. Yeah. Their own... Well, they have feelings, yeah. Feel, but, but even besides, every, you know, yeah. a slow worm has feelings. Yeah. But they have intricacies, intellectual intricacies. Mm -hmm. I remember being on that train, going to, it doesn't matter where, I was going across the city with my wife. And these, there are lots of uh, working class areas between here and Dublin. And these four girls got on at... Uh, one of the stations. And they were loud, they were raucous, they were vulgar, they were ugly. But one of them, she was as loud and raucous, ugly as it, but she, I could see, that if she had grown up in a different class, she'd be running a business. And I could see in her eyes, she never met my eyes, I could see she knew that I knew the tragedy of her life. Uh, I've never forgotten it. And she was a wonderful creature. I mean, she was so, so full of life. But she had no, she had no education. She had no, God knows what she probably had. No opportunities. Family yeah. and so on. Yeah. No opportunities. Uh, but the things she could have done had she been And you given, just sensed that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just, it, it wasn't difficult. She was, she was just far brighter than yeah. she was being allowed to be. That's one of the great tragedies of the world we live in. And so much human potential is not used. Um, you know, people are capable of the most extraordinary things. I found this when my wife was dying when she was in the hospital. Dealing with the nurses, they were just astonishing. They had such tenderness and they had such infinitely, how would I say, they just knew that infinitely, their instincts were, were so finely calibrated. And they weren't, they weren't intellectuals, they no. didn't read my books, you know. Sensitive. God forbid it. They were sensitive, women too. Sensitive, sensitive. Yeah, well women, yes, of yeah. course, I mean, I think women. <laughs> there's a, there's a, you know that guy in, in the, he's a comedian, but he's, he's very lugubrious, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he has a song. It's, it's a spoken song. He says, women take over before it's too late. 
uh, you know, we've we've been doing it for an awfully long time. Um, we've really got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's not much time left, so will you please take over? That's my feeling. I think women should should be running the place because we fucked it up. Big time, as they say in America. But that's not end. That's another good way to end it. No, 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 no. No, no, but you're you're not you're positive too. Not with a four letter word. No, I mean women I've all my life, from my mother on, from my aunts, my cousins, my You're lucky to have all those women in your life. Well, I I was interested in them, you see. Yeah. Almost every woman I've ever known I'm still in touch with. That's very nice. But I Yeah. There are women I had Affairs with how many decades ago? How many? Oh, hundreds. <laughs> I don't know a few, but uh, I still love them. And I have lunch with them every now and then. We hold hands. We we're still in love, in love with each other. This is what a wonderful gift. And you know, I was here's a place to end. Years ago, I was in the University of Lyon in France. Uh-huh. I was giving a meeting. It was before lunch. Then we went to lunch, and it was 13 men in an upstairs room. Yeah. The last supper. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the most boring. I remember thinking, this is my idea of hell. Sitting yeah. at a table with just men for all eternity. Totally. If one woman had come in there, everything would have changed. All the uh, all not, the peacocks would have come out. Not that the men were, were you know, they were, everything was very decorous. There were no dirty jokes. No, no, no. None of that. No, no. It was just boring. It is. Whereas one woman would have just got the thing going. Yeah, I think we like to show off in front of women for sure. I think that's part of it. Yeah, I suppose, you're right. Of course you're right. But I do think women inject... A kind of... Uh, also, I mean, the female sense of humour is so much more... <laughs> I mean, men can't afford to laugh at themselves because somebody might take them seriously might yeah. really think they are laughing at themselves. Whereas women laugh at themselves all the time. Okay, well... Um... Come on, you can hear it. A... No, no, I've got something that I just want to pop in here about, about uh, you've also said, and I totally agree, it's why I do what I do, uh, in part, certainly, and that is, there's nothing better than a good human connection, a good connection with another human being. Um, well, I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> nothing better? Maybe no. a good sentence is better. You think making good sentences is better than yeah. connecting with a, a really decent, I've, lovely, smart, uh, funny... But that would be... I would be doing that in a different life. When I stand up from my desk, mm-hmm. the John Bamble who did the writing ceases to exist. Then I become the person who wants to have a good lunch, wants yeah. to yeah. You know, fall in love, wants to do all, all that stuff. But that's nothing to do with the person who only exists at the desk. There's a total distinction between the two and a total break. So who who showed up here then just now? Oh, it's me. Who? I mean, I'm talking about... I'm just the writer or the, the other guy? The writer only exists if I'm sitting right... Ah, uh, okay, being quiet and talking making about sentences. Nothing. I see. Okay. My, well. my poor family, you know, they used to say... <laughs> my wife told me, sometimes she'd say, should we go up and check to see if he's still alive? There's been no sound out of there for eight hours. <laughs> uh, and I've said famously, I mean, notoriously, I've said in public, I'd sell my children for a good sentence. Nice. A great exaggeration, but you take the point. Uh, how, how does that make them feel? We'll find uh, out this evening I've at been, supper. My ears have been reddened. My ears have been boxed many times. So things I've said in public. And again, that's about <laughs> ego. Honest. That's about ego. You want to be remembered for the greatest sentence ever written. Honestly, you've got the whole. Have I got it wrong? Well, why? Why do you want to sell your kids? Why do you want to sell your kids for that sentence? You don't want your name attached to that. Okay. Okay. I would like to think that you know, after the avian flu kills off almost everybody, and the world 
reverts to the Stone Age, and then you know, two thousand years from now, somebody stumbles <laughs> on one of my books in a dog-eared copy yeah. and reads it. But you want it to be anonymous, though. Yeah, yeah. Why should I? I had nothing to do with this. No, I don't. I'm sorry. We'll have to continue. I know it's it. a hard concept. But it is. It's too hard for me. But if artists were. Lots of artists have got enormous egos. If more artists were as honest as I am, they would say, yeah, he's right. We don't give a damn. You don't okay. Do anything okay. Except making the work of art. Okay. Well. You know, when, when Stravinsky was, was in America and Pearl Harbor was attacked, Stravinsky said, where am I going to live now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's go now. Yes, thank you. This is uh, this has been wonderful. I'm sorry, you didn't like the wine. I love the wine. I just I'm talking all the time here. So uh, I'll finish that before we go. I'll, I'll finish this and just uh, just wind up by saying uh, thank you. This I has been wonderful. It. Yeah, we had fun. Yeah, and it's over now. It's just starting now. I think well, actually, one. I mean, thing we didn't talk about right. oh we didn't talk about amos martin amos can we just uh yeah. can we just qu uh, quickly just, put that in the concept of joy of sheer delight of making something that is beautiful and light and and that might give delight and joy to other people i write for myself and i'm always amazed other people find in my work something yeah that gives them joy and delight. But that's very important. Now, Martin, my poor friend Martin, God, I miss him so much. You know, he had this reputation as a, you know, the enfant terrible. Uh, I mean, in his 60s, people were still thinking he was the, the bad boy of English literature, but he, he was such a sweet man, a delightful company. Uh, I know this is what people say about the dead, but I would have said about him, I would have said it about him when he was alive. The first time Martin and I met, <laughs> I was I was very lucky. I, on the same day, I met two wonderful writers. Claudio Magris was launching his book, Danube, in London. And I was, because I was book editor in the Irish Times, and I was going over to talk to him. And I thought, I'll, I'll contact Amos. We never met. Mm. So I wrote to Amos and I said, we should have lunch, you know. So we had lunch in his local restaurant up in Notting Hill and um, two little men, two short little men, you know, big egos, exchanging banalities for about 10 minutes. And I said, Martin, look, let's stop this. I said, you know, if I get a good review or win a prize, you hate me and vice versa, right? He said, well, he said, yeah. So I said, let's shake hands. We shook hands. We were friends that were out there. Uh, a delightful man, a wonderful writer. I mean, wonderful writer, one loss. of my favorites. Great loss, great loss. He, God, yeah. But he did smoke all those bloody cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. It was a sort of a, a life. It was a passion. One of the passions of his life was cigarettes. He was seriously addicted. But very funny. His sentences, yeah, I've screamed with laughter at at some of his stuff, like Nicola Six, Nicola like Six God is. wanting to fuck Nicola Six, and her telling God to you know piss off. Yeah. That I I don't think I've laughed harder at anything. I would not have heard Martin's nerve, his courage, to address the contemporary world, and to try to make it stylish. He sent me, can't remember. I think it was money. Mm. And the dedication is, dear John, a farewell to form, Martin. And uh, I would not have, I'm a formalist. He had the courage to, to sprawl. And he made, my God, he sprawled magnificently. Can you check up? Yeah. Let's leave it at that. Yes, let's. It's because he moved to New York and I saw very little of him in the last four or five years. He wrote to me the day that his father died. He emailed me. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I'm, I'm astonished at how 
how devastated I am. She was asking me about my father and I said, well, oddly enough, your father said that the best gift a father can give to his son is to die young. I said, my father died before I was 35. It was a great gift. Uh, we had a laugh about that, but he was very, very upset. And of course, Martin was always very proud, rightly so, of the fact that, I mean, Kingsley and Martin, this is unique in the world. The yeah. father and his son, both wonderful writers. Yeah. Both, you know, yeah. verging on great. Uh, verging on great, yeah. Certainly Martin did. I think, yeah. And who knows? I mean, posterity may judge that, that he was great. We can't tell. Either. Yeah, I mean, the fact he didn't win the Booker, I mean, that's just, it doesn't mean anything. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. He wrote to me once and said, it, Jesus, it, John, you have prizes coming out of your hair. <laughs> I wrote to him and said, I said, yes, yes, Mark, like, like dandruff. <laughs> no, that, that doesn't mean so much in the long run. All, all prizes are consolation prizes. Fun winning the Booker Prize, but it was silly as well. Well, you said it's great for readership, obviously too. You um, got so many more people reading your material. Um, you I know. don't care about that. What I care about is that I mean, it's a pity that the Booker Prize is gone now. Nobody cares. Mm. But in those days, it was big news. It was front page news. Oh yeah, and that's exciting. Front page it, news. Yeah, it? it was very exciting. It's an amazing thing. A dangerously cheap time now. Okay. But as I say, that's what all old men say. <laughs> yeah, nothing is as good as it used to be. That's right, yeah. Except sex. Well, if you can still as get remember, it up. As I remember, as I vaguely remember. No, no, you can probably it. still get it up. But I'll, uh, I'll cut that. Uh, great. Okay, I'll turn this off. <laughs>